There's plenty. Anyone? More? Slay them up here in the front. You go ahead and see if anyone. Oh, back there. Chris and Naomi. Anyone else? You go ahead. Back there. There's plenty. Right, stand together with me. Think about the last song we sang. And again, we're not saying this is scripture, but this is words that the church would have repeated and has repeated for 2,000 years. Let's read together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. When Ken read that passage in Deuteronomy 6, that is a passage that would have been very familiar to any Jew, from a very young child to the oldest person. Because twice a day, at both the morning and the evening, any practicing Jewish family would have been led in this by the father of the household, by the leader of the household, and they would have heard these words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now think about the power of those words to transform a culture and the power of words to transform a culture. Here it is. And again, we need to just cover a few things so that you don't get alarmed at me. Uh, but so, so it's, it begins with, it is, think about what you just read. I believe in God. It talks about who God is. And then it talks about in Jesus Christ. And then uh, it talks about the work of Christ, how he descended into hell. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. This actually was... Uh, I've been thinking about this phrase, he descended into hell. Where did Jesus go in the time between the crucifixion and the resurrection? In, in, second, in, in Peter, Peter talks about how he preached to the spirits. We, no one is quite sure what, uh, what that is meant by that. There are many different opinions. But the common prevailing opinion is that in some way Jesus went to those who had either died or to the spirit world. And I don't think that we realize as believers today, and maybe as Western believers, the, the, the cosmic world that is out there around us. And, and in some way, Jesus preached his death and, and his impending resurrection in those days. His death to, to the people who had died and to the spirits who had died. And then, um, so, so we, can, we can discuss that more in the future. But this is the phrase that nearly catches everyone, the Holy Catholic Church. We're so conditioned to be against the Roman Catholic Church that we have a hard time even saying Catholic out loud. Now that is not a bad word. And, and up until modern times, the church would have been known, the, the Catholic Roman Catholic Church would have been known as the Roman Church. 
or the church led by the pape, or the great Babylon in some cases, and all kinds of other phrases, but generally not the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, by the way, this is the earliest creed of any Christians. We find it in use a hundred years after Christ died. We, we find evidence of this creed being in use then. And now, I, I need to tell you a little bit what this word Catholic means, because it means something. When you said that word, you were doing something and committing something. Now, that word Catholic doesn't mean Roman Catholic, as I just insinuated, but the term Catholic means universality plus identity plus continuity. So, when you use that term, the Holy Catholic Church, you're saying, I identify with the universal, the holy universal church, and my primary identity is that, and it is not bound by time. I'm identifying with Christians in China today. I'm identifying with Galen and Jenny in Thailand. I'm identifying with the Christians in Africa, but I'm also identifying with Irenaeus in the first century. I'm identifying with the entire scope of Christians who have ever lived. And that is much bigger than just saying the universal church. It is something about who we are. And so when we repeat that phrase, may it become a precious phrase to us. The holy, universally connected church of Jesus Christ. It's big. It means that we are saying that we believe something much bigger than ourselves. And I, 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 now, if you wish, please turn your copies of the scriptures to 1 Corinthians 15. I read this last Sunday. I'm going to read it again. Uh, and then we'll look at uh, a few others. Now remember that the, the uh, church at Corinth uh, was struggling with relationships. It was struggling with uh, unity issues. And there was a lack of appreciation for each other. They didn't like each other that well, some of them. Some of them said, but I've got this gift and it's much more important than your gift. Or, uh, by the way, very modern, isn't it? To kind of look around and say, uh, I'm much better than they are. Or, uh, it's, it's not, is it not fascinating that the passage about comparing ourselves among ourselves is found in Corinthians? Like, these people were doing that, and they were, they were, they were trying to get to the top. There's this kind of unholy arrogance there that says, look, I'm a little better than they are because I'm this good person. Now, there's also huge problems in the church because they were supporting known sin in the church. It kind of is very modern in that sense. It is the human issues that you and I struggle with at comparing ourselves among ourselves. And over and over again, Paul, the writer of, of, First Corinthians, of Corinthians, a letter to the Corinthians, reminds them of something very key. Now note with me in chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. 
For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. This is at towards the end of the letter, and Paul will spend nearly the rest of the letter talking about the resurrection and the power of the resurrection over death. And it is, it is, uh, I find this really fascinating that if you think about the church at Corinth with these problems, there are people like you and I. I wonder how many of you uh, sometimes do this, kind of look around and think, well, you know, why did they, and we compare, we, who do we use to measure ourselves by? Now, let's just back up a little bit and say, uh, does Paul cover this any other time in the, in the, in the book? Turn back to 1 Corinthians 3. And, and think about how similar this sounds. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is what? What's the foundation? Jesus Christ. He goes on and talks about our works and how when we build on that, that will be revealed. And then in verse 16 he says, Do you not know that you all, that is plural, that you there is plural, that you all are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you all. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you all are that temple. Now, you know that verse has often been used, when I was a kid growing up, it was used to tell me I shouldn't smoke. And I guess you could make that inference there. But with that you being plural, he is talking about the church at Corinth. He's saying, you all are God's temple. And when people want to see the temple of God, they look at you. The temple has been destroyed, or will be destroyed very shortly. It's no longer in good use. And now you are that temple. And when somebody attacks you all, he's attacking the temple of God. So the foundation of the temple is what? Jesus. So let's see if this is a theme throughout the book in chapter 8. Turn to chapter 8. He's, t- he's talking about... Uh, they also had a, uh, an issue with food. Um, and particularly food offered to idols. In Corinth, there was a practice that uh, people would uh, offer... Uh, would, would, with food, they would offer food to idols, and then they'd have a feast. And then in, in chapter 8, verse 4, Paul says this. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols... We know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. Now, where do you think Paul got that? There is no God but one. Did you hear what Kendrick read? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Paul says, there is no God but one. But although there may be so-called gods in heaven and earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us, there is one God, 
the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So this is a theme to these people saying, God is one God. And your belief about God is extremely important. And how you think about God is extremely important. As I was thinking about this being the first Sunday of the new year and thinking about what we might need to think about this coming year, I think we need to think about what we believe. I believe in what? I believe in what? I believe in... Do you? How do you know what a person believes? How do you know what a person believes? Mike, can I have the next slide? We'll see where we're going here. Uh, what is a belief? Uh, a simple belief, simple definition, is a belief is an assumed truth. Hence, everything is a belief, including this statement. And all humans have a belief system that... You all have a belief system. You all believe about life something. And that belief system is intended to anchor your understanding of the world. You believe things about... You, what you believe helps you anchor and helps you cope in our world. And it, 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 it also helps us navigate and relate to other humans. If I believe that humans are inherently good and uh, un, not sinful and they do sinful stuff, it comes against my belief system. Hang around me for a while and you'll find I'm quite broken. And what will that do to your belief system? All humans have a belief system, number one, that anchors their understanding of the world. It helps us navigate and relate to other humans. And we guard it very carefully. We don't want our belief system to be wrong. You know that. You guard your belief system very carefully. Just think about when I begin to probe into your belief system. So, uh, how many of you believe, well, I shouldn't, I'll use a very general reference. How many of you believe that it is raining outside? What if I believe it's raining outside? Is it raining outside? Is it raining outside? You don't know. You don't think it is. So is that a belief? It is. Of course it is in some ways. But now if I say, I believe it is raining outside, will that make it rain? No. And, and, and in some ways, our beliefs about God, the world, each other, is often the very same way. They're erroneous. If you do not think that your belief system should change... Think about what Paul says in, in uh, Romans 12. I thought I could quote this. Well, let, let's finish this and we'll look at that. And uh, we, we build a belief system because we believe that will keep us safe in the world. Uh, we, we build belief systems because we think that will make us uh, be able to thrive or be safe in the world. Now, uh, I have the next slide, Mike. So... We'll go to Romans. So, you know, when I look at this picture, this is an ancient, this is an old picture uh, of Jesus on the cross. It's actually an icon in a Byzantine church. But um, when I look at that picture, I think about Jesus on the cross. And I think about the two women who were close to him, Mary Magdalena and Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
When other people, though, look at that uh, picture, they think about something different. And, and we have to recognize that, that other people believe other things. Um, we, and we usually believe something will happen because they previously happened. Uh, we, we believe, uh, and when we believe one thing, we have to disbelieve anything else that contradicts with that belief. I'm trying to think of something really absurd to believe. The Cleveland Browns are going to the Super Bowl. It's kind of absurd, isn't it? This year. You know, uh, sports fans are so much like Jews. Jews who are still, unfortunately, waiting for the Messiah. Because they always say, next year in Jerusalem. That's what happens. Uh, uh, but, okay, so, so if, if I say, the, well, that, that's too trivial. Hey, here's a good one. Uh, what's that? Creation and evolution. I believe that, um, that God created the world from nothing. How does that affect the way I live? How does it affect the way you live? And by, by assuming that and being committed to that, I, I, I disbelieve that there was uh, some omibi in the ocean, a, a jellyfish-like thing that crawled out. You know, it's a kind of, that, by the way, evolution takes as much belief as creation. People don't, things like creation of the world and our beliefs about God, and atheists, it takes as much belief to believe in atheism as it does to believe in God. Now, the end result will be different. Uh, we create beliefs to anchor our understanding of the world around us. They help us navigate the world. Um, next slide, please. So, so when we think about that, now, now I have another question for you. Believing that you believe something is not the same as believing it. I've been thinking about this all week. So is believing that you believe something the same as believing it? You, don't, you aren't used to thinking like this? Come on, let's have some response. Is believing that you believe something the same as believing it? Okay, so let me ask you a question. Uh, you just said you believe in God. Do you believe in it? Or are you just saying so? So how does that belief come out? How does it come out? Because just saying you believe in something is not necessarily belief. Belief and behavior are inextricably inseparable because you act out of your beliefs right you act out of your beliefs if I ask you do you believe that I am uh, six foot four and uh, have long flowing brown hair and uh, uh, you know have large but you guys are laughing but if you and if 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 you simply said that, uh, let's say, who would say that? Uh, uh, Sheldon says that. Now, what does Sheldon, when Sheldon and I talk, what does Sheldon have to do? Sheldon, how tall are you? 
6-2. What does Sheldon have to do when he talks to me? Look down. Because I'm not 6-2. And if, Sheldon, if you all told me I'm 6-2, you're 6-2. You're 6-2. You're that doesn't change the facts. Okay? Uh, let's have the next slide. So, so I think we, we also need to think about how our belief systems are formed. And then we'll, we'll get back to the Romans and, and these passages. Our belief systems are formed, number one, by our experiences. Okay? So let, let's take a basic core belief about uh, God. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So, how does your experiences shape your belief? In this matter. How do your experiences shape your beliefs? So, you might have an erroneous concept of God, and in that case, you would believe that you believe in God without actually believing in God, right? You think, for instance, that God is a great cosmic Santa Claus in the sky who grants us our every wish. Uh, we'll only get a lump of clay if we misbehave. I mean, a lump of coal. You remember that? If you're bad, you get a lump of coal in your stocking. Uh, and then, so, so if you believe that God is this kind of great Santa Claus in the sky, can't think of any other way to describe it, who, who is looking down and he will reward the well-behaved and um, put lumps of coal that will burn forever into those who don't behave. What will that make you do? Behave. Well, hopefully... But what if you don't behave right? What if you don't know all the rules? And uh, think about what the Apostle Paul says. I am the person who was the most ill-behaved person in the world. I had a belief about God. The Apostle Paul had a strong belief about God. But his behavior reflected what he believed about God. He went about killing Christians because he thought he, that was God's work. And what needed to happen to the Apostle Paul in order for that to change? He had to have an experience with the living God, right? And then he says, oh, it's the grace of God. And so when we think about uh, our previous experiences, it is really easy for us to impose our experiences in this world upon our views of God. And this is particularly true of people who have suffered abuse. And I do not want to minimize abuse at all. Abuse is a horrible thing. And when, when someone abuses a child, I think there is a special punishment reserved for that person. In fact, Jesus says, if you abuse one of these little ones, it would be better if a millstone were hung about your neck and you were thrown into the ocean to suffer forever than what is going to happen to you. It doesn't say that is what is going to happen to that person. It says it would be better if that were to happen. And so I, I think that when you take someone innocent and you hurt them, and the part of the reason that that is so horrible is it also shapes their concept 
of who authority and God is in their lives. So our experiences do help us shape that, but our experiences are imperfect. And um, so our belief system is also formed by accepting what others tell us. Parents, mentors, pastors, teachers, our peers, our environment, our culture, and our heroes. So the first one is uh, by experience. The second one is by, by learning, maybe you could say. And both are equally important. And that is why it is important for us to teach truth to our children, what truth means, and what is the truth about God. Uh, uh, go ahead with the next slide, Mike. I, I, want to, I want us to move then into thinking about uh, how does Jesus change our lives today? This is, I, I took this from somebody else. And, and I think that it's important for us to think about our belief system. And here's why it's so important. As we go into 2020, another decade, another time, I, I would want us to have vision, clear vision, 2020. I love this. This is going to be a good year. 2020 vision. What does that mean to you when I say 2020 vision? What does that mean? Clarity, clearness, good vision. So as we move into 2020, how about asking God to give us 2020 vision about who he is and what we believe? Because how does Jesus change our lives today? I think this is a viable question to ask a group of people because you note that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, for those of you who are being saved. Did you catch that? 1 Corinthians 15 again. Did you catch that, what he said? Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. doesn't say that you are saved by, by which you are being saved. What does that give you the idea of? That it is a process, right? And maybe some of us need to have LASIK surgery. Now, when you get older, funny things happen. I have two contacts in my eyes this morning. They're in against my eyeballs. I often, I wear glasses or contacts, have since the second grade. I remember as a, a second grade boy, uh, I went to the eye doctor. I went to the eye doctor and the eye doctor checked my eyes. And, you know, he does this funny thing when the things clack. And I, the first time I ever went to an eye doctor and he, he kept saying, hmm, hmm. And uh, an older man and, and, it, and it, it slide another thing and say, now which letters? And I thought, do I know my letters? Why does he keep putting the letters up there? I didn't know anything about this. And then they squirt this puff of air into your eyes and, and they put this drops in and everything felt really awkward. And he said, well, he's going to need glasses. And I thought that was kind of cool to need glasses until I broke them the first time. But uh, I think the first year I broke my glasses four times. But anyway, um, so, so I, I went back about a week later and the glasses were in. And he put them onto my face, and I walked outside the building, and I thought, I can see. I could see individual blades of grass. I hadn't known that my eyesight was that bad. Now, funny things happen when you get older. I have 20-20 vision right now, or nearly 20-20. I can see the individual hair on Chris's head sticking up on the, that side a little bit. Yeah, anyway, okay? But... When it comes to right here, I cannot, my eyes do not adjust anymore. So I have to wear these funky looking glasses to see 
the, the lines in the palm of my hand. Okay, we use these things to adjust our, our vision. What if our, in our spiritual vision, the same thing needs to happen? That there needs to be adjustments. There needs to be surgery. There needs to be this kind of thing that takes place that where, we be, where we are changed. Now think about Romans 12, where Paul says, this is a, this is a very familiar script, uh, portion of Scripture. In Romans 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, it says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So he's saying, I want you to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In 1 Corinthians, he says, by which you are being saved. So that gives us the idea that we actually are changed. The process of change happens, that change happens in process. So how does Jesus change our lives today? We need to think about how he, he, we need our lives changed in regards to loving our neighbor, loving God, loving the church, uh, being together alone, all these aspects of life. Mind map your own belief system someday. Uh, next slide, please. And this is where we want to we think about this. Can or should our beliefs and our belief system change? What is the basis for truth as a follower of Jesus? We talked about this a little bit last week. The Pharisees understood the scriptures, but Jesus told them, you think that by knowing the scriptures, you know truth. Let me tell you, you don't know truth until you know me. And so the first step in understanding a belief system is believing that Jesus is alive. That God is one and he is alive. Uh, Next slide, please. I talked about this. How do we reframe? And this is the word I really want us to think about. Reframe our belief. When something is reframed, it's made differently. And maybe our beliefs about who God is, whether he's this great cosmic Santa Claus out there in the sky, just waiting to give us a gift if we behave well enough, or if he's this kind of judge uh, up there, and if you misbehave, boy, he's going to cut you off. Or if he's some benevolent dictator, uh, benevolent God out there who kind of sets the world in existence then retreats and just kind of lets it go by. And whatever happens, happens. At the end of time, it'll all be good. Suppose it's none of them. And how, how do we reframe our beliefs around a living God, a God who is involved, and the gospel? Next slide, please. So, Let's think about this. Let's think about the fact that you know facts. All right? You begin here. By the way, this is a... You begin here. You know some facts. Okay? Tell me facts about God that you know. God is all. Love. Creator. Eternal. Life. All-knowing, just, caring. So you know those things, right? Now, uh, do you believe them? You would hope so. And when we begin to put these facts together and you think about the fact that God is, for instance, caring or loving, but he's just, how do those two put together... And there should be some struggle that happens. You do not get belief, true belief, without struggle. 
And I, I'm, I'm telling you that at some point as an adult, if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, there is going to be, need to be a breaking down of the systems that you've embraced and a breaking down of those and, and a, a renewing of, of, and, and that struggle. And we are often against struggle. We don't want it. It doesn't feel good. And when we see it happen in others, we want to rescue them from it. Right? We don't like to see it happening. But suppose that is entirely what God wants. And that suppose that when we struggle with something, we come out at a place of knowledge. We come out at where we begin to put these ideas together. You could say this is, uh, this is uh, uh, basic ideas. And, and this is knowledge. And knowledge is much bigger than just ideas. Knowledge is, uh, is putting ideas together and saying, God is just, but God is loving. And how do the two of them? And we wrestle with those things. Now, if you refuse to wrestle, I guarantee you're going to end up in a place of uh, being dogmatic. It is primarily people with little knowledge who are dogmatic. Think about this. You, you have somebody who stamps their foot, pounds the pulpit, and says, this is the way it is. And, and you kind of back up and think, well, boy, uh, he's rather dogmatic. Chris was going to send me this uh, uh, piece of information about the Apostles' Creed that he found about some preacher going off about the Apostles' Creed being quite dogmatic that it should never be used because it has the word Catholic in it. Okay? Now listen. That's dogmatism. That's being dogmatic. Boom, this is the way it is. I know everything about that word, and it's a bad word, and you shouldn't use it, and boom. How about we think about what does that word really mean? That means that I'm connected to something much bigger than myself, and suddenly it takes on a new meaning. So that's the, the struggle that happens. And if you're unwilling to struggle, you're going to end up in a place of dogma, being dogmatic. Now, knowledge, though, is not enough. Knowledge needs to, when you know, when you put these pieces together and you think, ah, yeah, God is love, uh, I, how do, what, is it, what is it I understand about God that, that changes and, and then we need to repent. Okay? So here you have a struggle, and here is repentance. Repentance is actually changing our mind about something. Okay? It's about changing our mind about something and letting that filter into our behavior. So what if, it, we, were, what if we said that everyone in this church uh, believes that God is love? Well, you all believe that. Now, how do you act it? You, you understand what I'm saying? And there are some ways where I, often, I need to be repenting all the time. If, you're, if, you have all these, if you have all this knowledge and you're unwilling to repent, unwilling to allow those, that knowledge to shape your, your belief system, you'll end up a skeptic. And, and, and that's why Paul, I think, says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is the whole renewal process. You learn things, you struggle with them, you put them together in a package, and you begin to say, I'm going to live out of that. Repentance, another word for repentance, is living out true belief. So as we think about what is it that God wants for us, I think God wants strong, good belief. And as we think about that, think about what though. If you, if you embrace that idea, it will mean these things. So, how does that look for us? 
Is my next slide, uh, let's see if there's one more slide here. Yes. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. So do you believe that God is the Father Almighty and that he sees everything and that someday things will be made right? And that he has called us to work with him in this kingdom to make things right in our fallen world. I would like to suggest that you take these apostles' creeds, and there's more, and I can make more, and I would like to suggest that you put them at a place where you see them. And uh, am I too bold to suggest that we should, on most Sundays uh, for this coming year, repeat this together at some point? to where we learn it and we begin to embrace it because here is one thing that I've learned from Scripture and learning about knowledge. When you think about how God wanted to instruct His children Israel, He, had, he gave them the Shema. He told them, repeat this morning and night. It is one of two prayers that the Jews were to use, prescribed prayers all the time. And He said, I want you to say this morning and night. And when we say this together, when you repeat this in the privacy of your own room, when you repeat this as you're driving down the road, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. You are joining thousands and millions of other believers throughout not only our world today, but throughout time and history. And you're saying, I believe in something much bigger than myself. Let's stand together. Worship team, can you make your way up? So as you think about this, wonder which piece of it that you need to change. Wonder which piece I need to change. God, the fact that Jesus rose again, the fact that there is a Holy Spirit alive in our world, the fact that we're embracing not only our church providence, but the universal church, but the church through ages, that we embrace the forgiveness of sins, that there's an, a life coming, and, the, and even the amen. I'm going to close by reading now from the second letter to the, Corinth, to the people at Corinth, where Paul says this. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes or no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all their promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, I ask that as we put that amen together, as we put the exclamation point on and say, we embrace the fact that Jesus Christ is the amen of God and that you are the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that you care about us and that your son came and rose again from the dead and that the Holy Spirit is active and that by embracing this, we embrace not only providence, not only our church, but the universal church not bound by time or space. And we ask 
that you would make us people who are willing to struggle and to repent. Move us away from our dogmatism and our skepticism into a place of belief and strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.